message of hope and good news for you. The program today is part of a series of programs called Give Me the Bible with Uncle Len. The title of today's program is 70 Weeks. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. I hope you've been blessed by God this last week. And if things have not gone the way you would have liked, I hope you still understand that God loves you dearly. He cares for you and wants the very best for you. In the whole of the universe, it was only on this little planet that things have gone wrong. And God has invested everything possible to save those who are willing to be saved. I hope you have chosen to be part of God's family and want to honour and serve him. You know, the stakes are high. You have the opportunity to have eternal life or, on the other hand, eternal death, depending on your choices. And it all depends on whom you choose. If you accept the forgiveness of your sins through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, then the Bible is clear you will be given eternal life. And let's face it, the world seems to be disintegrating and offers no hope for the future. So in my opinion, the choice to honour God and be given eternal life is a no-brainer. Today, we will consider one of the prophecies of the prophet Daniel who wrote what God had instructed him to write in about over 500 years BC. By way of introduction, I want to ask you a question. Who do you think has been or is the most influential person on planet Earth? There have been some who are worthy to be considered, like Martin Luther, or Alexander Graham Bell, or William Wilberforce, or Abraham Lincoln, or Mahatma Gandhi. All these people made very significant contributions. But he who has had the greatest influence in the world was none other than Jesus Christ. It was through him that people were given dignity, value and hope. With him, a force for good was unleashed which has impacted the world in a way nothing else has ever done. But I'd like us to consider some things about Jesus. He made some pretty radical claims which the religious leaders of his day found very confronting. He claimed to forgive sin and to be able to take away the sins of the world. He claimed to have pre-existed. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be able to lay down his life, that is to die, and to take his life up again. If anyone went around these days saying such things, people would most probably think he was mad, off his rocker, so to speak. But were his claims true? They had to be either true or untrue. It would be a very foolhardy person who would try to prove that what Jesus said was untrue. 
You see, Jesus coming to this earth was not just some isolated event. Prior to his birth, there were dozens of prophecies telling of his coming, telling of the place of his birth, telling of his mission, that is, what he would do, telling of his death and sacrifice and many other things. Those prophecies had been made over a period of many hundreds of years beforehand and with the hope of the Israelite nation and others for centuries. Not only that, but the time of his coming had also been predicted. We'll deal with that bit soon. It's a very significant point, and it should not be overlooked. But just before looking at that, there are sceptics who discount the reality of Christ and who discount the truthfulness of the Bible. They say that the person, Jesus Christ, never existed. But then they also have to discount the evidence given by at least 17 secular sources who lived around the time when Christ was on earth and all of whom attest to his existence and that he was the founder of the Christian movement which has impacted practically the whole world. I guess with some people they will not believe regardless of the evidence in front of their noses. For them black is white and white is black. I hope you're not one of those sceptics who refuses to believe something even though the evidence is pointing to a very clear conclusion. Now, we are not asked to believe in fairy tales. The Bible gives enough information that what we believe is evidence-based. So now, let's examine the Bible prophecies in Daniel that show when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come. We find the reference in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, going right through to verse 27. Daniel writes, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my requests to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end for sins and to make a reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, 
and the wall, but in troublous times. And after the th- after threescore and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people and the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be like a flood. And unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant, covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even under the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now what we want to find out from this prophecy is the time when the Messiah, Jesus, would come. But there is a lot of information in this, in this prophecy which we need to understand as well. So let's look at the main elements. They are 70 weeks, reconciliation for iniquity, the anointing of the Most Holy, Messiah the Prince, Messiah cut off, Confirm the covenant for one week, the sacrifice and oblation to cease. Prophecies such as this one can be hard to understand, as they often are filled with imagery and symbols, and sometimes things are not said in what we would regard as straightforward language. It would be nice if the prophecies were given in plain English, without the need to decode them first but we can understand what is meant if we try. First of all, the prophecy has a defined time period. It is 70 weeks, but 70 weeks is only a bit over a year, and this prophecy was over a much longer time period than that. After all, it took many years to rebuild Jerusalem. You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Uncle Len. We are going to take a short break and we'll be back. Please stay with us.
And that was uh, English choral with uh, Nobody Knows. We are now uh, back to Give Me the Bible with Uncle Len. Today we are talking about 70-week prophecy. Just before the break, we noted that 70 weeks is only a bit over a year. And yet the prophecy covered a much longer time period than that. As just as a proof of that, um, to rebuild Jerusalem took many, many years. You see, the Jewish people, because of their rebellion against God, were being punished and were therefore captured by the Babylonians in 586 BC. They were taken to Babylon as exiles and slaves. Daniel was one of these exiles. But eventually the Babylonians were overthrown by the Medo-Persians, who then took control of Babylon and its territory. The Jewish exiles remained in Babylon. Meanwhile, their capital city, Jerusalem, with its temple and everything else, lay in ruins. The Medo-Persian kings were reasonably favourable to the Israelites, and knew how many of the Jewish people longed to go back to their homeland. But now we must deal with the problem. Each of the three Medo-Persian kings made a decree for Jews to leave Babylon and go back to their homeland to rebuild. The first decree was made by King Cyrus in about 537 B.C., the second was made by King Darius I in about 520 BC. And the third was made by King Artaxerxes in about 457 BC. But the prophecy's starting point, as pointed out in verse 25, was to be from the going forth of the decree or the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So which decree does one use? If you take the time to read the account of the exiles return to Jerusalem, as recorded in the book of Ezra, there is one and only one thing which delineates one date of the starting point of the prophecy out of the three dates. In the first two decrees, the orders were to rebuild the temple. In the third decree, recorded in Ezra 7:25 and 26, there's a difference. Here, the king is giving directions to set up the civil state with laws and a legal system. As far as I'm able to understand it, this decree refers to the civil state, Jerusalem, and not just about the temple, the centre of worship. It is involved not just in the building of walls and roofs, etc. It involved the rebuilding of civil law and order. Now I am aware that some interpretations of this prophecy use the first date. The problem with that is that the jigsaw just doesn't fit. And exponents of using the first date have to fiddle with things in order to try to make everything seem plausible. But in using the date of the third decree, as given by Artaxerxes in 457 BC, 
everything falls nicely in place. Now, let us consider the time period of 70 weeks. It is commonly understood that prophetic time is that a day really means a year. The Bible explains itself. Ezekiel 4 verse 6 says, I have assigned to you 40 days, a day for a year. The book of Numbers in chapter 14 verse 34 says much the same. So the time period of 70 weeks is 490 years. That is 70 multiplied by 7, which equals 490. But the 490 years have been divided into sections. Section 1 is 7 weeks, that is 49 years, followed by 62 weeks, that's the second section, which is 434 years. And then the third section, 1 week, which is 7 years. The final week of 7 years is very significant, as there is a major event in the middle of the week, at three and a half years in. This prophecy reminds me of a pie graph, where there is one section of 49 years, the second of 434 years, and then a final section of seven seven years, making a total of 490. The prophecy is a time prophecy about the Jewish nation, who had previously been especially chosen by God to be a witness to the surrounding nations about the true God. Unfortunately, the people failed in their duty and took on idolatrous practices of the surrounding nations. And God is announcing through this prophecy the time they had left to represent him to the surrounding peoples. But coupled with that, the prophecy is about the coming of the Messiah, and it provides enough evidence to give an actual date. The first part of the prophecy, as you heard before, covers a period of 49 years. At the 49-year mark, the Jews left Babylon, returned to their homeland, and set up their own judicial government and religious system. They were permitted self-government and finally became a self-governing state once again. Then, at the end of the 483rd year, which was what we would now call AD 27, the Messiah came. No, I did not say born. Note that carefully. It was when Jesus began his public ministry. This would have been at the time Jesus was baptised by John in the River Jordan and anointed by the Holy Spirit. If we interpret the coming of the Messiah with Jesus' birth, then everything gets thrown out of kilter and the dates of the prophecy just do not fit. You may know that Jesus impacted the Jewish and other people for a period of three and a half years before he was crucified or as the prophecy said, when he was cut off. So that's the first half of the last seven years. But what about the other half, the following three and a half years? During that time, the second three and a half years, 
Following Jesus' death and resurrection, his followers, the disciples, continue to preach the gospel message to the Jewish people who basically rejected Jesus as saviour and they rejected the good news of salvation. The Jewish leaders, angered because of the strong growth of Christianity, then began to persecute the Christians. As the last straw, Stephen, one of the godly Christian deacons, was stoned to death by the Jewish leaders. That happened at the end of the second three and a half years and at the end of the prophetic period. Also, beginning from that time, there was a wave of persecution by the Jews against Christians. God also rejected the Jewish nation at this time, thus fulfilling the prophecy, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. God had no use for these people anymore. They had failed to carry out their mission of representing him to the surrounding nations. They had killed the Messiah, and now they had embarked on killing Christ's dedicated followers. God had no choice but to reject the Jews as a nation and needed to give the task of representing him to the newly formed Christian church. The stoning of Stephen marks the time when the prophecy ended, when God rejected the the Jewish nation. The Christians for fear of persecution, scattered into surrounding countries, and the gospel message went with them out to the heathen people. There are facets of this prophecy which we are unable to cover this week, but I'll try to deal with them next time. But I would like to say that there are many Christians around today who believe this prophecy's interpretation in a much different way than I have explained. The difference starts at the beginning date. Then, some have hacked off the last seven years like a gecko's tail from the rest of the prophetic timeline and applied an indeterminate time sometime in the future. It makes me wonder if those who follow this line of thought ever wonder if God is organised or if he blunders about first setting a sequential time for the prophecy, then chopping off the tail and waiting thousands of years to join the tail onto the rest of the prophecy. No other prophecy allows for such a gap. The years are always consecutive. The prophecies are for set amounts of time in one block. This recent interpretation of separating the last seven years of this 490-year prophecy, in my opinion, is grossly incorrect. It is known as the gap theory, and I believe it has led many honest-in-heart Christians to be misled. When you study what the reformers such as Luther, Tyndale, Zwingli, Knox, Calvin and other sincere Bible scholars taught, there was no gap. They taught that the 70 weeks of prophecy were consecutive, just as I have explained to you in this talk today. Anyhow, my radio friends, we've no more time left for today. Thank you for joining me again, 
and I look forward to your company next week. In the meantime, may you have joy and the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that comes from our Saviour and Lord, Jesus. Yeah.